0: Strange Brew Podcast Season 1 Episode 112. The Badgers played on Saturday and they lost 24 to 10. The Packers played on Sunday and they lost 24 to 10. And I feel very different about both of those games and the programs and what things look like in the future coming out of them. We'll talk about all of that. The Packers obviously not a lot of progression, maybe some regression. Things not looking too good at Lambeau Field, but the Badgers and Braden Locke kept themselves in a game against the number three team in the country in prime time, and it was a one-score game when Jump Around hit. I feel okay about all of that. We'll break all of that down. We'll do our weekly roundup of all the NFL stuff, and we will touch on the Bucks quickly. It was decidedly not a great sports weekend for Wisconsin. When the Packers lost, I saw a lot of, well, at least the Bucks played tonight. And then Flavor of Flav delivered one of the worst renditions of the National Anthem of all time up there in the Carl Lewis area. And then the Bucks had no energy, no life. That was a veteran team in October in the NBA. You could tell right away that was going to go south. Not a great sports weekend, but we'll recap it anyway because that's what we get paid to do. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. Here comes Melvin to the 25 to the 20. Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Wisconsin, record-breaking run! Morgan a smash up the middle, face into center! Here comes Gobo! Around third, a throw and the Brewers win! Here's the snap. He looks, he throws it! And a great interceptor! And there is your... Super Bowl dagger. Booker, the drive, gets inside, cleans in, knocked away and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has the foul, and a pinnacle foul, throws it down. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there, and they're the champions. They have done it. It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. Are NBA champions! Some sad entertainment news over the weekend, too. You maybe saw it during the Badger-Ohio State game. I don't know if it deserved the bottom line scroll, like a breaking news scroll that it got. Maybe, I don't know, Matthew Perry passing away. That took my breath away a little bit on Saturday. I was on Twitter watching the Badger-Ohio State game, but now... You almost always have to be connected to some social media during these games to find out how other fans are feeling or what other people are thinking. Maybe you steal some takes and put them on your podcast. I don't know. (laughs) Is that the worst thing in the world? Maybe you throw a take out there, somebody steals that. It's one of those kind of things. Mutually beneficial. And I saw as I was going through some Badger stuff, the TMZ tweet that had Matthew Perry's face and had passed away at 54 years old. I got to be honest, I gasped. I'm not maybe the biggest Friends fan in the world, but I've seen every episode multiple times. If it's on once in a while on TBS or on in a rerun or a Thanksgiving episode pops up, I'll watch it. I watched it when it was on, and then the girl I dated in college will love that show. It was always on at at the apartment, at the house we lived at up in Stevens Point. So I've seen a lot of episodes of Friends. And for him to pass away that young, it sounds like it was, they said accidental drowning, but then there was a cardiac arrest call before that. That probably was a bigger part in the whole deal. And yeah, that one, I try not to get too crazy about athlete deaths or celebrity deaths or whatever, not blow it way out of proportion, but that one took my breath away. It really did. Chandler's one of the iconic TV characters of all time, the self-deprecating humor. I think my favorite episode of Friends with Chandler as kind of the main point as the Plotline A was the Chandler in a Box episode where he hooks up with Joey's girl and then he has to sit in a storage container. I think it was a Thanksgiving episode so we can think about what he's done. Gotcha! (laughs) That doesn't sound like thinking to me. Sorry! You know, I don't think you should be talking at all in there. I think he got too much thinking to do to be talking and making jokes. He just had so many great one-liners over the course of his time on that show. And Chandler is a legend. That's a legendary sitcom character. I was talking on the air this morning, too. It harkens back to a different era of TV. Now, it's going to sound like I'm talking about growing up in the 40s or 50s here. But you've got to understand, even in the 90s, most people were watching all of the same stuff. Whether you loved it or you didn't love it. There were not a ton of options. At that time, when Friends started in 1994, it was really still the three big networks. There were not a ton of cable stations. Like FX is now cranking out all these shows. And there's cable networks. TNT has their own shows. TBS has their own shows. That was not happening. Most of the time, to watch any show, you were still tuning in to NBC or ABC or Fox or what am I missing? CBS. And a lot of people were watching maybe 12 to 15 or more, maybe 20 different shows every week. It was different for radio, too, because when we talk about some TV on the air, and we do it from time to time, it's much more difficult now. If you wanted to go on the air on a radio morning show in 1995 and talk about a funny scene from the Friends episode last night, there was a pretty good chance that 60 to 65, 70% of your listening audience was watching that show last night. Now it's almost impossible for that to happen. Those shows were getting 30-plus million viewers every episode. Friends and Seinfeld and King of Queens back in the day and Everybody Loves Raymond. They were pulling in 30 to 35 million viewers. I'd have to take a look at the current TV ratings to try to see how close they are. What would be the biggest show right now? I'm sure it's on CBS. I don't know what the biggest show is anymore, the biggest sitcom. They're probably getting 8 million, 7 million. It's just such a different world where when that show went on the air, when Friends went on the air in 1994, for most of its run, everybody was watching the same stuff. It's maybe one of the last legendary sitcoms where everybody watched it or at least knows of it. One of those types of TV shows. That doesn't happen too much in this era of TV. So that was a little bit of a shocker over the weekend, no doubt. All right, let's get into – you want to start with the Packers? It was just the same old, same old. Remember on Friday's podcast where I said I don't care if they win or lose, and I really truly don't. I'd love to see them win. I want to see them win every game. If I'm going to watch them for three hours, I would prefer if they would win if I had my druthers. But all we want to see right now, or all I want to see, is at least progress, at least see them get better, start quicker, fewer penalties, love doesn't turn the ball over, the accuracy is better, the receivers are hanging out on the ball, something – Something to glob onto at the end of the game where you feel good going forward. And you could make a case that not only did they not progress, they may regress on Sunday against the Minnesota Vikings. It calls to mind this Homer scene. They were the suckiest bunch of sucks that ever sucked. Yeah, the well, su- that team sure did suck last night. They just plain sucked. I've seen teams suck before, but they were the suckiest bunch of sucks <laughs> that ever sucked. Homer, watch your mouth. Uh, I got to go. My damn wiener kids are listening. <laughs> I love that at the end of it. We're not wieners. They just suck. They're bad, everybody. They are bad. Week three and the comeback win in the fourth quarter against the Saints and being 2-1 and one and probably should have been 3-0 and oh if they closed that Falcons game out, that feels like a long time ago. And the slow starts continued. That's been a problem the last four or five weeks. Once again, unable to score, not even able to get a first down. Not just not able to score in the first quarter. Couldn't even get a first down. Didn't get a first down until the last drive of the first half. I think they had four or five straight three and outs to open the game. They had three first-half points. They've been outscored in the first half 79-6 to in their last five weeks. That's not going to get it done. I'm pretty sure they had more penalty yards than total yards in the first half. They had eight first-half penalties. One of them wiped out Jordan Love, who we'll talk about here in a second. The best throw he had all day was that opening drive where he had to go backwards to avoid a sack and then lob one over the top of a cornerback downfield for 20 or 25 yards. And he put a dot on Romeo Dobbs, who actually caught it. But it was called back because Rasheed Walker, who didn't block anybody on the play, (laughs) because that guy was right in Jordan Love's face. He didn't block anybody, and then he somehow got too far downfield on that, and he got flagged for illegal man downfield. That was his best throw of the day. That set the tone, though, that first drive, the penalty from Rashid Walker, eight first-half penalties, 11 penalties, and just under 100 yards, a penalty yardage, just undisciplined football. Like I said, didn't get a first down to the final drive where they got the field goal, which was initially a miss on a doink and then a penalty on the Vikings. Thankfully, gave them a second shot at that field goal. Carlson hit that one to make it 10-3 going to the half. Eventually, they get down 24-3. to I'm going to admit something to you right now. And I don't think this is the answer, and I know everybody's going crazy on social media and have been for weeks now about wanting to see Sean Clifford. I want to see Sean Clifford. Put Clifford in. Love's not the guy. Put Clifford in. There's a whole segment of Packer fans. There's a whole segment of Packer fans that have been basically calling for Clifford since week two, that they feel like they've been seeing things the whole time that nobody's been seeing, and Sean Clifford is the guy, and that's who they want to see out there. Did anybody watch Sean Clifford play at Penn State? Because I did. I don't know. I don't know. Most people thought he was going to be undrafted. The Packers took a risk and took him in the fifth round. Did he show you that much in the preseason? Or what are we basing this on? Just the fact that we don't know anything about him? That's probably the, the thats probably the bulk of why a lot of people want to see Clifford. Because we've seen seven games now, or eight games, or nine games of love. People are sick of that. And they haven't seen anything of Clifford. So he could be good. He might be good. He Did he have a throw or two in the preseason that was that memorable? But that, at 24-3, to I will concede... The first time this year, it crossed my brain, maybe put Clifford in. Or maybe I thought more of this. If you put Clifford in now, fine. Because 24-3, to you knew they weren't coming back to win that game. Even with the Cousins injury late third quarter, which ended up being terrible. Torn Achilles. Feel bad for Kirk Cousins. You know what kind of changed my opinion about Kirk Cousins? Not that I hated Kirk Cousins to begin with. We actually kind of like Kirk Cousins. In the Rodgers era when they would take on the Vikings, Cousins was always good for a big mistake late that helped us. He kind of had a Jay Cutler feel to him. In fact, that might be his best player comp, where Jay Cutler, just like Kirk Cousins, was pretty good for the most part, probably fringe top 10, top 12 quarterback in the league, but would always make a crippling mistake at some point in a big game, in a playoff game. That's probably the best comp for Kirk Cousins. So I wouldn't say we ever hated him. If you watch the Netflix show Quarterback Season 1, he was one of the guys they followed, so you got to know him and you got to know his family. I kind of, I kind of started to like Kirk a little bit coming out of that show, so I feel bad for him. Even with him going down though, at twenty-four to three, you knew they were not going to come back in that game, and that was the first moment I've had this year where I thought if they put if they put Sean Clifford in this game because the the conclusion has already been drawn. If they put him in this game just to get some reps or just to see, fine. I guess that probably would have helped out the pro Clifford people, though, because, you know, the Vikings were going to be sitting in his own defense. And if Clifford comes in at that point. He probably does move him down the field for a touchdown. And then the whole thing explodes. That's probably why they didn't do it. Then the whole thing is going to bubble over. And that contingent of put in Clifford fans would have been getting bigger and bigger and bigger by the end of that game. But it was just bad all the way around. They're just a bad team. I said it on the air. We had a texter say, I think Love is not the guy, John. Put Clifford in. At least we can see what he has for the remainder of the year. Look, first of all, like I said two weeks ago, if Love is not the guy, which I don't fully think yet, I don't know if he is the guy or not the guy yet. I am not. I have not determined anything in my own brain about that. Many of you probably have. If if Clifford is the guy, I am fine with that. That's great. If we have the next franchise quarterback on our roster right now, that is a very good thing, whether it's Love or Sean Clifford. Here's my thing, though, with the put Clifford in crowd. Do we really think the results of these games are going to be any different with Sean Clifford? Is Sean Clifford going to make the offensive line any better? Is Sean Clifford going to resolve the issue at left tackle, the most important part of the offensive line that is a revolving door between a seventh-round pick and a sixth-round pick from five years ago, is he going to fix that? Is he going to make Josh Myers any better? Is he going to make Jaden Reed hang on to a football? Is he going to make Christian Watson fight for a football? Is he going to make Matt LaFleur call a play for Aaron Jones 15 or more times per game, 11 touches for Aaron Jones on Sunday? Is he going to put Joe Barry in a closet, (laughs) and then he's not going to be able to call these soft zone defenses that give up third down and longs? Is all that going to happen with Sean Clifford? Because if Sean Clifford – can fix all of those things, then by all means, put Sean Clifford in. I don't think this record or this team or the points scored or points allowed look a whole lot different with Sean Clifford than they do with Jordan Love right now. Jordan Love, in on my list, is so far down on the issues this team has. They have issues across the board. They're just a bad team. And it starts with the offensive line which was, again, a nightmare. Josh Myers, you couldn't have scripted that first drive any better. After we talked about on Friday's podcast, offensive coordinator Adam Stenovich with that kind of snotty answer to the question of should Josh Myers be on this offensive line or could they move Zach Tom to center and move Josh Myers to the bench and put Nijman in at right tackle. And remember he said that, oh, no, 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 no. Josh Myers is playing his best football, our best five on the offensive line, includes Josh Myers. He is playing the best football of his career. I have to give a shout-out to my buddy Pat, though. He, he in a group text, did say two things can be true. He could be playing the best football of his career, and this is what that could look like. Adam Stanovich may not have necessarily been lying there. This might be the best that Josh Myers has to offer, and that makes him the 31st or 30, 32nd ranked center in the league. Both of those things can be true. But after he went on that whole rant about how he's playing the best football of his career... On the opening drive in a, what, 3rd and one situation, he blocked nobody. And then he got whistled for a penalty. Myers has been bad. running another penalty yesterday. He's been bad. They put Walker in to begin the game. Then they took him out. Then Nijman got in at left tackle. Then I think he got hurt, and Walker went back in. He immediately gave up a sack. It's just a disaster up front. They just have nothing that you feel good about. Elton Jenkins, I guess, he seems to be getting healthier. He didn't have a ton of issues on Sunday Beyond that, though, this offensive line is young and making a ton of mistakes, and they may just not be very good. You hope these guys continue to grow like everybody on this roster and they get better and take little steps forward. It's hard to see it now. If these are steps forward, they are imperceivable to the eye. Unperceivable? Imperceivable. One of those. Something like that. I didn't perceive it. It's it's all, to me, it all starts there. It was another mess up front on Sunday. And Aaron Jones, 11 touches. (laughs) I don't, I don't know, guys. I don't know. I don't know what has to happen to get Aaron Jones the ball 15 times. And they end up scoring the one touchdown drive they had was the fourth and one pass, the fourth and goal pass to Romeo Dobbs where they scored their only touchdown of the day. To not give him the ball one time down there, you had first and goal at the one-yard line and you didn't use Aaron Jones, your most dynamic playmaker at all. It makes no sense. Is he on a pitch count? Is he hurt? He says he's 100%. Maybe he's not 100%. Most players are going to say that. If he is 75 to 80%, you give him the ball there. I mean, that's no better place to give him the ball. If you can only give him the ball 11 times in a game, give him one on a goal to go down at the one-yard line. I just cannot figure out why we continue to have Aaron Jones at less than 15 touches per game. That seems like the most simple thing to do. And it just doesn't get done. I don't even know if LaFleur was asked about it after the game. If he had a chance to say, hand up, that's on me. we got to be better about getting in the ball. I have no clue. I didn't listen to the entire post game. That was another problem on Sunday. And, yeah, Jordan Love, he missed some throws. He made some throws that weren't caught. Cheesehead TV put together a montage of all the drops on Sunday. Some of them, I would say, they were stretching a bit. Some of them weren't great throws. But 80% of them were just straight-up drops. You think about the interception. Jaden Reed's got to make that catch, guys. There's no other place that ball could have been put. He had two hands on the football and had it ripped away for the interception. That interception was not on Jordan Love. Dontavian Wicks on second and five on a catch that probably should have been a touchdown would have at least been first and goal at the one-yard line. Had a three-yard cushion, nobody around him. Love put it in between the one and the three on his jersey. He couldn't hang on to that. How many times did Christian Watson have two hands on the football? I can't tell you how many times Jonathan Vilma, the analyst on Sunday, would go to a replay and it would be a Packer wide receiver with two hands on the football and he would say, you get two hands on it, you got to make a catch. In the NFL, if you get two hands on it, if you get one hand on it, you really need to make the catch. If you have two hands on it, Christian Watson, uh, he's six foot four. And we saw what he can do in the open field last year when he had room to run on sort of those crossing routes from Aaron Rodgers or getting in the ball quickly for wide receiver screens. He's got to learn to fight for the ball a little bit. Every toss-up they have in the end zone or every 50-50 ball, it feels like he just wilts in those situations. And his stock is crashing with the injuries this year, but then also he's supposed to be your go-to guy right now with him and Dobbs, 1A and 1B. And every jump ball that is put near him, it just seems like he gets muscled out of every ball. So there were a lot of drops, and there were Jordan Love misses too. A microcosm of this to me was on the final drive or second-to-last drive where they were down 14 and just trying to figure out any way to get the ball downfield and get one touchdown, put yourself in an onside kick situation, maybe get that back, score again, get it to overtime. He had a pass to Romeo Dobbs on the near sideline that was 25, 30 yards downfield, and the number one – argument right now to go to somebody else or to draft a quarterback in the next draft or whatever is that he can't complete the deep ball he threw a strike to Romeo Dobbs on the near sideline and Romeo Dobbs alligator armed it I don't know why he did that but he did and then later on that drive he had Christian Watson wide open on the far side 20 or 25 yards downfield and then Love just overthrew it there are just they can't get in sync Watching this team try to move the football down the field is like watching a bomb get (laughs) defused. You're just on the edge of your seat because every snip of the wire, every down, every handoff, every pass, getting everything to go perfect, getting Jordan Love to throw the perfect ball, getting the wide receiver to actually catch the ball, making sure the offensive line doesn't commit a penalty in case something good actually did happen. They can't get that all together to get down the field on a 10-plus play drive and score a touchdown. One time they did it yesterday. It's an incredibly difficult feat right now for this offense to be able to get the ball down the field on a long drive and not make any mistakes because if Jordan Love puts one on his wide receiver's hands, they're not catching it. And then a play later, Jordan Love overthrows a wide receiver. And then a play later, they do get a pass completed downfield, but it's an illegal man downfield or a hold on the offensive line. It's just something goes wrong, it feels like, on almost every play for this offense. It is incredibly tough to watch them try to put together an offensive drive. They end up losing 24-10. I did think when Cousins left, obviously their backup quarterback, what was his name? I don't even remember. Jaron Hall. Is he a rookie? 25 years old. Yeah, he's a rookie. Oh, he he went to Minnesota. All right, I don't remember him, but. When he got in and the Packers immediately got a turnover, and in the first play after that turnover in Viking territory, the 25-yard line is a one-yard shotgun run to A.J. Dillon, which the crowd then booed and Jonathan Vilma, remember, on the broadcast said, I don't know why they're booing. You got timeouts. Vilma, they're booing because you're not getting Aaron Jones the ball in that situation, and you're down 14 points with five minutes left, and you're handing the ball off to A.J. Dillon for a one-yard gain. <laughs> That's why they're booing. The offense just cannot find any consistency right now, though, and I just don't know how much of that is on Jordan Love. Jordan Love may well not be the guy, but like I said five minutes ago, with the offensive line issues and the receivers not hanging onto the ball and the play calls not getting the ball to their most dynamic playmaker, I, I don't know how high up Jordan Love is on my list. I guess we'll give him a fail for the can he be as good as crap Aaron Rodgers. We've been documenting that all year. Pass, 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 first three weeks, every subsequent week is a fail. It's not all on him, but he missed plenty of throws yesterday, too. They end up losing 24-10. to The defense was not good. Jair Alexander was bad. He just got cooked by a variety of different wide receivers. That's supposed to be the number one corner in the league. And then he was obstinate, word score, in his post-game press conference. I don't know if you saw that. Outside of his locker, for two minutes and ten seconds, he kind of pulled a Marshawn Lynch. Remember Marshawn when he said, I'm just here so I don't get fined? That was funny. Jair had a smirk on his face and was kind of fake listening to the questions. You know what I mean? He had that kind of an attitude about him. Oh, okay, good question. And then he would just say, "I don't know," "I don't know," every question. And they grilled him for two and a half minutes. Oh, yeah, I don't know. All right, well, <laughs> you know, you're supposed to be a leader on this team, even though you're still young. You're paid as the number one corner in the league, right? Still. And you're getting worked over by second and third string wide receivers out there. That last touchdown the Vikings scored, he got worked on the inside seam for an easy touchdown. That was literally the play after the turnover, I think. So that was bad, but the defense overall, they just couldn't get off the field. They would be good on first and second down, and they'd put the Vikings in third and nine, third and 10, third and 12 situations, situations where you should be able to get off the field 75 to 80% of the time, and they couldn't. It was almost like the Vikings operated the best when it was third down and 10, third and 11, third and 15, because that zone defense is so soft, and Cousins would get time. They couldn't put a lot of pressure on them. And Cousins was able to get enough time, and he's an accurate enough quarterback where he would wait for somebody to get open, and he'd throw a strike, and they'd move the chains first down. They couldn't get off the field on third down yesterday. I wouldn't say they were the number one reason they didn't win, but they weren't good overall. T.J. Slayton had a good game. Preston was okay. Preston did get two sacks. They were coverage sacks for the most part. Yeah, T.J. Slayton played a pretty good game. Kenny Clark had a sack. Overall, just typical Joe Barry defense, sitting in zone, giving up a lot of yards, trying to bend, not break, but giving up 24 points in the process. Overall, no progress. And right now, the Packers have lost four in a row. They're two and five right now. They would have the number five overall pick in the in the upcoming draft. I had somebody Facebook me and say, "Can this team get to five wins? Do you see this team getting to five wins?" I'll say what I said on the podcast. Was it last Friday? I don't right now. If they keep playing the way they are, and we have not seen progress now since week three, and that's probably a stretch. If they keep playing like this. I don't know, man. I don't know where you see the wins. At this point, though, if you're not going to be a playoff team, if you're not going to fight for a playoff spot, it's almost better for a young team that has so many voids talent-wise. It's almost better now if you just win four games or you win three games or you win not a game for the rest of the year and you get the number one overall pick. You're almost better doing that than rallying and getting five wins the rest of the year, getting to six wins or getting the seven wins and then getting the ninth or tenth overall pick. I guess the Rams come to Lambeau on Sunday, and it sounds like Matthew Stafford is hurt. There's the potential for a win there, I suppose. This coming Sunday at Pittsburgh, not going to win that. At home against the Chargers, not going to win that. At Detroit on Thanksgiving, not going to win that. At home against Kansas City, that's a loss. Maybe the following Monday at New York against the Giants, although you're on the road. Tampa at home on the 17th, I suppose you could call that a winnable game. I would probably still put that 65 70% in Tampa's favor, though. At Carolina, they finally got a win. They beat the Texans. We lost that gambling pick. That is on Christmas Eve. You would love to say that's a win. It's a road game, though. You're at Minnesota. We don't know what their quarterback situation is going to look like at that point. If they're just going to roll with this kid now, or they're going to find somebody before the deadline on Tuesday. At Minnesota on the 31st on New Year's Eve before you wrap up the year at home against Chicago. Right now, I would say Chicago and the Packers are pretty much in on even level, even though the Packers beat them down in week one. If Fields is back at that point, I don't know. Those two teams could be fighting for top five picks for that final game in on Sunday, January 7th. Yeah, I see two wins maybe more if they play like this. Two more wins, three more wins. Get them to five at most. Now, you start to see some progression, and Love gets more comfortable, and the play calling gets better, and the offensive line starts to come together. Maybe you have a chance to get to seven or eight wins. Doesn't seem likely, but yeah, right now with the way they're playing, you look at that schedule up and down, it's tough to find this team getting to more than four or five wins on the year, which, again, might not be the worst thing. If you're going to be bad, you may as well be bad. <laughs> You know, trade deadline is on Tuesday, right? Or is that trade deadline on Thursday? Maybe Thursday. Were there guys you'd trade the trade deadline in the NFL? Although it has gotten more NFL trade deadline in recent years. There has been more or there have been more trades made. Oh, no, it is tomorrow. Trade deadline is 3 p.m. on Halloween. I gotta be honest if you look at this team right now. If you get offers for some of these veterans, I would imagine there's a playoff team out there that would be interested in Preston Smith services. Preston's got four sacks on the year now. He had two sacks yesterday. He's a guy who could thrive on a competitive team or a playoff team coming in as an edge rusher. If someone's going to give you a fourth or fifth round pick for Preston Smith, you probably should take that. If someone's going to give you a third round pick for Aaron Jones, you're not using him. You're not using Aaron Jones. You may as well trade him. If someone offers you a second or third-round pick for Aaron Jones or even a fourth-round pick, he's not going to be back next year anyway. You may as well take the draft capital. Who else would you put on the trade block right now? Would you trade Kenny Clark? Would you trade Jair? If somebody offered you a second-round pick for Jair or a first-round pick, I don't think you're going to get a first-round pick. If someone offered you a second-round pick right now for Jair, would you do it? I think I would. Because you have to, right now, look at this 2-5 and team. They're one of the worst teams in the NFL right now. And you haven't seen the progression where you can say, okay, we might be good next year right away. Then they may be. They might be. But right now on October 30th, it's tough to look at how this team has performed and say that there are going to be a lot of these guys back next year and they're going to get better and they're all going to grow together and they're going to be a playoff team again in 2024, or 2025. I hope that's the case. I hope we start to see that at some point this year and spilling over into the beginning of next year. But right now, as we're recording this podcast, it's tough to look at this team and say, is Jair going to be here when they're good again? Is he going to be here in two or three years? So if he's not, then you may as well trade him. Now, they did sign Rashawn Gary to an extension this morning, which I loved because it meant to get that loss out of the news cycle. (laughs) That's just savvy PR. Packers suffer a fourth straight loss. They look terrible doing it. They had Viking fans doing the skull chant at Lambeau Field. We better do something to cleanse the palate here. They announced the Rashawn Gary extension. That I don't mind. He's 25 years old. If you are hopeful that this team in the next year or two is going to get back to being a playoff competitive team, then Rashawn Gary is a part of that plan and then the extension makes sense. Four years, $100 million, it sounds like they signed Rashawn Gary too, but is Jair – where is Jair in his contract? Halfway through it? In the next year or two, is he still going to be here or want to be here? If you get a good offer for Jair, I think you've got to think about that too. But guys like Preston, guys like Aaron Jones, they don't have a ton of veterans on this team. If somebody's offering you something, Devondre Campbell, feels very unlikely Devondre Campbell's going to be on this team again when they are a 9- or 10-win team or a 10-plus-win team fighting for a division title. It's not going to happen this year. It's probably not going to happen next year. And at that point, you're probably out on Devondre. If somebody offers you something for, the, for him, a third-round pick or a fourth-round pick, I mean, you just have to collect picks like they're Pokemon right now. If they're going to offer you, you got to do the trades. We'll see what they do or how aggressive they are on Tuesday. But that trade deadline is looming Tuesday afternoon. Just ugly, ugly, ugly at Lambeau Field. Now, on the flip side of the 24-10 losers this weekend, I actually feel pretty good about the way the Badgers looked. I understand that last year's Ohio State team was much better than this year's Ohio State team. you we are talking about a team with C.J. Stroud and that still had Marvin Harrison Jr. on last year's team. They were a much better team top to bottom. But you got your doors blown off 52-20 to last year, and this year you lost 24-10, to and it was a one-score game entering the fourth quarter. I think I feel okay about the way the Badgers looked on Saturday night against the number three team in the country. I understand that there are things you want to correct, and they had a turnover early with Braylon Allen that took some of the early momentum away from them after their defense got a turnover. Badger defense... I thought held their own for the most part, and you gave up 24 points to the number three team in the country. Marvin Harrison Jr. got his. I saw some Badger fans upset about that on Twitter. There's not much you can do with that guy. I know the one that really made fans upset was second half, maybe early fourth quarter where the quarterback had time and he found Harrison Jr. and there wasn't anybody around him for 10 yards. I don't know what you want to do with him, though. He's so good. He's the best wide receiver in college football. If you play up on him, he's going to go right past you. And if you give him a cushion like they did on that play, he's going to put the brakes on him and be wide open. I mean, he's just—he's smart, and he's athletic, and he's just good. He is a Heisman candidate for a reason. He would look good in a Packer jersey. If you're the top five pick next year, if you have a top five or top three pick, there are plenty of Packer fans that are going to say draft a quarterback. That's not going to happen. But you could get Marvin Harrison Jr. That could give your wide receiving room some juice. There's just not much you can do with that guy. And if he gets behind someone, fans will be upset. If there's an eight-yard cushion, fans will get upset. He's just that good. There's no real way to contain him or defend him. He had how many yards? He had 162 yards, or he had 123 yards and two touchdowns. But the defense overall, despite Harrison getting his and their running back getting that big touchdown late, they held the number three team in the country to 24 points. And again, that touchdown late was a backbreaker, but that was late in the game, four minutes left in the game. And they forced three turnovers. They had their chances, the Badgers did, to maybe steal a victory. They're still too young, and they're trying to come together. I just think they're too raw to be able to capitalize on the mistakes Ohio State was making and turn them into a win. But they turned them into a competitive game. Braden Locke, to me, again, feel pretty good about the way he acquitted himself in his second start. I know some fans, again, on Twitter thought he missed throws or thought he wasn't quite that accurate. I mean, guys, this is a redshirt freshman quarterback making his second career start under the lights against the number three team in the country, unbeaten number three team in the country, with one of the best front sevens and defenses in all of college football. If you thought Braden Locke was going to go out there and throw for 250 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, and lead this team to a 31-24 win, your expectations might be a little out of whack. He was 18 of 39. Like Jordan Love, though, he had a ton of drops. Skylar Bell, again, catch the ball. 18 of 39, 165 yards, one touchdown. Did not turn the ball over. Led that drive to begin the third quarter. That got the game tied. And he was moving the ball in spots after that. Field position became a problem. It was a lot like the Iowa game where the Ohio State punter was always pinning the Badgers back inside the 10 or inside the 5-yard line and the Wisconsin punter was setting Ohio State up at about midfield just about every time. They did not win the field position game, and it's tough for Braden Locke when you're inside your 10- or 5-yard line. You are asking him to go on a 13-14 play drive against one of the top defenses in the country and go 95 yards up the field to tie the game. That's tough. He did get the ball past midfield a couple of times there, but that drive to open the third quarter where they got right down the field, tied the game up. It was a 17-10 game entering the fourth quarter, I and mean, it was a game. You could talk yourself into – getting the game tied or having a chance to maybe steal a victory if you were there or watching on TV. Braylon Allen, 10 carries, 50 yards. The injury is a big one. He left did not return, which to me makes Brayden Locke even more impressive when you factor in DK and Allen. Allen, your best skill player, and DK probably right behind Will Pauling as your second-best wide receiver, or some would maybe argue your best wide receiver. You kept that a game in the second half without two of your most important offensive weapons. Raylan Allen got hurt late in the first half. That was on that drive that got them to the one-yard line, and they ended up kicking a field goal, which I think was the right call. You were getting the ball to begin the second half. I understand you think about how many times you're going to be down at the one-yard line. You've got to get a touchdown. You had to get points there. You could not risk not getting points there. And then especially with Allen hurting himself on third down, so he would not have been a factor on fourth down. Losing Braylon Allen in that moment, you had to kick the field goal, go down 10-3, and then hope you get what you got to begin the third quarter, a game-tying touchdown drive, which is exactly what happened. Frustrating, though. I get it. Getting down that far to the one-yard line against that defense and not being able to cash in for a six, that was probably Locke's worst throw of the day was that throw to Skylar Bell, which he actually did catch, and he had a knee on the ground. If that pass is on the money, that's a touchdown and it's 10-7. That pass cost them four points. That was probably Locke's biggest mistake of the day. Overall, though, in my mind, he had a, what, a B-minus, B, B B-plus kind of game for how young he is and how good that Ohio State defense is. He had poise. He had some moxie in there as well. Jackson Aker... He was okay when Braylon Allen left. He's going to be the guy now. He had nine carries, 34 yards, a little under four yards a carry. It did seem like he was always moving forward. He doesn't seem like the kind of back to me, at least given what we've seen so far, that's going to break out an 80 yard touchdown run the way Braylon Allen can or the way Jonathan Taylor could back in the day. You know, it's tough to compare him to those guys. He was always moving forward, though. He would get them in second and sixes or third and twos if you gave him the ball a couple times. Will Pauling, solid game again. He's having a great year. Four catches, 51 yards, and the touchdown. Bryson Green in my mind, had his best game as a Badger. Just two catches, but he had that good catch to set the tone on that opening drive of the third quarter where he shook a couple of defenders, broke a tackle, got some yak yards. Skylar Bell had a bunch of drops again, four catches. Aker had five catches out of the backfield. Defense, I thought, like we said, was solid. They kept their team in the game. That's a potent Ohio State offense. Their quarterback, Kyle McCord, is nowhere near the level that C.J. Stroud was. Again, tough to compare him to, a guy that ends up going number two overall in the NFL draft. There's clearly a Buckeye offense that's not what it was in the last few years. But the defense kept him in the game. And Ricardo Hallman, who maybe wasn't on Marvin Harrison Jr. enough, had another pick. He's got five interceptions. He's working his way into a pretty decent draft situation. If he wanted to leave, I don't know if he can. Is he only a sophomore? Hopefully he will stay one more year, Ricardo Hallman. He has been excellent in that secondary Yeah, he only played one game in 2021. He played nine games. Oh, no, he did play. Oh, he played a little bit in 2021. How old is he? He's a sophomore. He'll probably be back next year. Six total picks now in his career, five, and had the one on Sunday of McCord. A lot to like about the Badgers. The fourth quarter comeback at Illinois to get the win there. You kept yourself in the game, and it was a one-score game entering the fourth quarter against Ohio State. And now we find out what they can do for the final quarter of the year. If you have the over on season wins at 8.5 or you juiced it to 9, you would need the Badgers to win every one of these last four games, get to 9-3 and to cash that ticket on season win total over 8.5. All four of these games are winnable games. You are at Indiana on Saturday. They do not have a win in the Big Ten. None of these are going to be easy. Don't confuse winnability with cruise control wins especially now likely without Braylon Allen for at least a couple of weeks and still with a redshirt freshman quarterback who we all have some confidence in, but he's still a redshirt freshman quarterback. With all of that going, I don't know that any of these games are going to be 35-7 to wins, but they should be able to win all of these games. At Indiana on Saturday, at home against Northwestern, they're always tough even in a year where the Badgers are really good. At home against Nebraska, they did cover for us on Saturday. That was a gambling win for us. They seem to be trending in the right direction. That is at Camp Randall. And then you've got the battle for the Axe against Minnesota on Saturday, November 25th. The Badgers will be favored against Indiana. They'll be favored against Northwestern. They'll be favored against Nebraska. I don't know what that Minnesota line is going to look like by the time they get to it. All four of these games are winnable. I need them to win four. If I'm honest with myself, I probably see them tripping up at least one more time. It's a log jam now atop the Big Ten West as well. You've got four teams sitting at 3-2, and two, and I think Iowa has most of the tiebreakers right now. You would need Iowa to lose one more game. If you run the table with these last four games, you would need the Hawkeyes to lose one more to win the Big Ten West. They get back after it against Indiana Saturday afternoon. That is an 11 a.m. kickoff on Big Ten Network. It's just interesting that both football games ended 24-10, to and coming out of that Badger game, I thought, hmm, okay, okay, we can maybe work with that. And coming out of the Packer 24-10 loss, I thought, oh, just more steps backwards for this Packer team. Weird football weekend here in Wisconsin. We had NBA on last night, too. We thought that was going to be a salvation, Packer fans, that the Bucs were on last night. Flavor Flav set the tone with one of the all-time worst renditions of the National Anthem. Carl Lewis levels, Roseanne Barr levels of National Anthem, which you kind of had to expect when I saw he was the guy that was singing the Anthem. What happened is pretty much what I thought was going to happen when I heard his name thrown out there. And then the Bucs just didn't have any kind of juice. The Bucs, after a nice start on Thursday against Embiid and the Sixers, and Dame had all those big shots, they didn't have their legs under them. They didn't have a ton of energy, not a lot of cohesiveness offensively or defensively. They looked like a new team playing together for the first time under a first year head coach. And the Hawks were a well oiled unit. Their head coach, Quinn Snyder, came on at the end of last year. Something you don't see happen in the NBA a lot, where you fire a coach, there's an interim coach, and then the Hawks just determined Quinn Snyder, who had a good run of success in Utah, they said, that's our guy, and instead of waiting to hire him in the offseason and he starts with a fresh slate this year, they said, if he's our guy and a lot of our core parts are going to be here next year anyway, why not just start it right now? And they did. The Hawks had the benefit of being under Quinn Snyder for the last quarter of last year, they were younger, healthier, and hungrier, it looked like, and a much better chemistry out there on Sunday. Dame Lillard had one of his worst games maybe in the NBA. He had four or five turnovers early. He didn't hit a shot until the second half, one of the ugliest games of his NBA career. Giannis was okay, but really nobody had it going for the Bucks last night as they fall to 1-1 one and one on the year. Now, tonight, you get the Heat matchup. We talked about this on Friday. This might be one of those rare October NBA games where there is a little bit of juice and a little chippiness out there when you figure or look back at what happened in the playoffs last year and then Dame Lillard was supposed to be the only destination was going to be the heat in the offseason. The Bucks end up getting him. There's that subplot to it, too. This could be just a little edgy tonight. Heat and Bucks at Fiserv forum, a 7 o'clock tip time. Bucks are opening as five and a half point favorites. You just hope they come out with much better energy than they did last night in tonight's matchup against the Heat. Middleton should play tonight. Did not play last night. Maybe that was also a part of the loss on Sunday. It just sounds like he is not yet ready for a back to back games, and they decided to rest him on the front end as opposed to the back end, maybe thinking that this game with Miami probably could mean more toward the end of the year when you look at playoff positioning, things like that. Middleton is probably not going to play back-to-backs until you get to maybe January or February, it's sounding like. If I'm honest, I'm a little concerned about Middleton and having a David Bakhtiari situation here. It just doesn't seem like he's been fully able to get over the variety of injuries that he has sustained in the past 18 months. He looked okay in the playoff series, defensively very slow, offensively actually pretty good against Miami in the playoffs last year. I think he averaged about 25 points on 45% plus shooting. He's just not quite ready with those cleanup procedures done in the offseason. Doesn't sound like he's quite ready to be out there for a back-to-back as of yet. But I I do get some Bakhtiari vibes from Chris Middleton. Hopefully the whole team looks better tonight. Again, seven o'clock tip time at Fiser Forum, and the World Series is back on tonight. You had the dramatic Rangers comeback. I've not seen any of the ratings yet. The Rangers were down five-three in the ninth inning at home in Game One. Corey Seager a game tying two-run bomb with one out in the ninth inning, and then Garcia hit the walk-off home run on the 11th. It was weird in the extra innings on Friday, no ghost runner. They're not doing any ghost runners. I don't think there's been an extra innings game in the playoffs up until that one. To not have the ghost runner out there and then be back to the traditional extra innings rules. But Garcia ended it in the bottom of the 11th with a walk-off home run the World Series. Amazing moment. And the Diamondbacks just crushed the Rangers on Saturday 9-1. to Pounded out 16 hits. Well, the Diamondbacks have home field now. They stole it. Series tied at one. They are in the desert tonight. It is Scherzer and Fott, that young righty who locked up the Brewers for the most part in his matchup there. He's been so good in the playoffs after a lackluster regular season. He had an ERA around six in the regular season. The playoffs, it's sitting at 2.65. That is the matchup for game three tonight in Arizona. 703 1st pitch that will be on Fox tonight. That'll do it for us here on yet another victoryless Monday. We have not celebrated a victory Monday for the Packers in a long time. We'll get back after it. On Friday, we'll be setting up the Packers matchup with the Rams. Maybe we'll know more about Matthew Stafford at that point. We'll be looking to the Badger matchup at Indiana, hopefully talking about a couple of Bucks wins as well, and we're probably going to be at the last weekend of World Series baseball, regardless of what happens today, tomorrow, or Wednesday. Well, I guess the Diamondbacks could sweep them all, and they'd be over. We'll either be recapping the World Series or getting set for the final game or games of the baseball season coming up on Friday's podcast. Have a happy, safe work week. We'll chat with you then.